0: What is up, everyone? I hope you're doing fantastic today. This is Rafael Garcia here with Shuan Humes on January 5th, 2020. For the first episode of the new year of MMA Ratings Podcast, this is episode 226. And we are back for yet another year full of action. Shuan, how are you doing in there, sir? Why don't you tell everybody how you were over the holidays and all that good stuff?
1: Uh, not too bad. Just a bunch of family came over. So everybody seemed to like their presence. Everybody seemed to have a good time. So I can't complain. Just a lot of people in and out of the house or needing something or wanting something. So it was pretty busy as far as as, far as family stuff goes. They're alive and well. So they're alive and well. That's all that matters.
0: Well, I mean, family always always. uh know how to make themselves feel welcome and unwelcome at the same time but we're not going to spend too much time talking about family i, I don't
1: i don't understand how how they're that comfortable with somebody else's house i'm not that comfortable in my parents house and i grew up in it
0: because it's not their house like that's the whole that's that's the whole thing like i'm the same way I, even when i go to my parents house it's like uh it's time for me to go i don't even stay yeah. there like it pisses my mom off so much that when i go home for the holidays i get a hotel still to this day and, and it pisses her off right up the wall so i mean yeah. it is what it is
1: yeah, and kids come us, take it all over. I'm like, okay, oh, borrow your car? Well, you've already driving. No. you calling me from the car, <laughs> so I guess you can. <laughs> it's
0: it, it's it's always something, man. But um, we have some stuff to talk about this week. Uh, we are going to be talking about you know, the new year, some stuff we're looking forward to in mixed martial arts and boxing across all combat sports. We got a big fight to talk about with Alexander Volkanovski and Max Holloway being announced for UFC two UFC 272. But before we do that, as always, uh, I want to thank you and everyone for the time. Who is that my cat?
1: Uh, no, it's it's mine.
0: Oh, my fault. <laughs> uh, I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to this show. As always, you can find our, our podcasting and all of our content across multiple channels. We have mmaratings.net and .com, which are our flagships, and that's where everything really sits and stands to begin with. You can check us out on social media at mmaratingsnet and mmaratings, um, Net, excuse me, on both Instagram and Twitter. You can check us out on Spotify, Radio Public, Google, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Apple Podcasts, and you a YouTube as well. MMA Ratings in all those spaces. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share all of our content there. Me, you can hit me up at rgarcia underscore sports. Sean Humes, you can find him at Black Jordan Breen. And that's that. Let's go ahead and jump into this fight that was announced maybe about three to four hours ago Brett Okamoto over at ESPN broke the news that Alexander Volkanovski will be defending his title for the um second time against Max Holloway this will be their third fight the rare trilogy in MMA. Chuan what are your some of your early thoughts about this fight when it goes down on March 5th at UFC 262 what are some of your early thoughts just looking at what was announced?
1: Um, I don't really know that this fight has changed as far as like the actual issues that are posed for Max Holloway. I know he's had some good wins in between, but none of the guys he's faced have challenged him in the areas that Volkanovsky can challenge him in. I know he, I mean, that that's basically what it is. Everybody's saying like, you'll see these fighters who will lose a fight and they'll win like seven, like, you know, they'll win seven fights in a row. And you're like, oh, they're on a hot streak. They're better now. It's going to be a better matchup. That only works if you've been facing guys who've been able to present you with similar challenges that the guy who beat you faced you with. Otherwise, all you're doing is beating up on guys who are oftentimes a caliber low beneath you as far as skills, physicality, or athletic talent. And I don't know how beating beating up on second and third tier fighters prepares you to beat up on the best of the best at the first tier fighter. And that's essentially what Max Holloway's done. He's beating guys who were who either, in the case of um, in the case of Kadar, is a step behind him athletically and a step behind him technically, if not two steps. And then who else did he face? Oh, I forgot that guy's name. Yar Rodriguez, a guy mm-hmm. who's a dynamic athlete, but a guy who ultimately is a step behind him as far as experience, um, balance of skills, balance of skills and um, his own IQ. So it's like these guys, offer threats in some areas, but they don't offer the complete threat that Alexander Volkanovski does. So when people tell me that it's going to be a whole different fight, I haven't seen anything from Max Holloway in either fight that he's won that tells me that this rematch with Volkanovski is going to be terribly different. Now, if he comes out to be a completely different fighter, okay, well then we might have a whole different fight here. But I'm going to say the same thing I've been saying about Max Holloway for the past four or five years. His style is predicated on him being able to take whatever you dish out and him being able to set a high pace and then ramp it up and build on it. Sure, he backs it up with technique. Sure, it's proper placement, all that nonsense, strategic strategy. That's all going good. But his success has always come. He can catch whatever you're pitching, and then he sets a high pace, takes a huge amount of punishment, makes an adjustment that's based on his ability to take the punishment, and then he ramps up the pace. That's how he's beaten the majority of guys he's beaten as an elite fighter. He's no longer able to do that. And since he can't do that, he's not able to just turn a corner and finish guys the way he he used to. And that's what held him about against Volkanovski. He could never just bite down and walk through everything and drown him in volume because he never had the physicality to and he didn't have the durability to. In the second fight, he made adjustments. But once Volkanovski realized what he was doing and Volkanovski adjusted to what he was doing, he didn't have his go-to, which is to bite down, take what he's got, and ramp up the ramp up his volume and his pressure. He can't do that anymore. And from what I've seen in his last two fights, he still can't do that. So if he goes back in a time machine and that changes, we have a complete different matchup. But as it is, it's the same matchup it was the first fight. It's the same matchup it was the second fight. It's the same matchup in the third fight. The only question is the same question I've had for Max Holloway each and every year: What happens when that durability finally dips too past too too far past the line? Because it's clearly not what it used to be. So what happens when it really causes that line of no return? When that happens, Max Holloway, in my opinion, isn't an elite fighter anymore.
0: That's my big concern with Max. As much as I love him and what he's been doing in the game for so long, I just get concerned about how much damage he's taken over over the years. Because he's taken quite a bit. And every time I see him, even against Calvin Cater and uh Yaya Rodriguez, like you were saying, he did it's not like he walked out of those fights unscathed.
1: No, he, he got touched a lot, especially by um by Rodriguez. Rodriguez didn't have the he doesn't have the connective fighting style or the whether it stretching things together, but he was still landing big shots on him. That's why you saw Max Holloway all of a sudden wrestling him. I mean, how long when's the last time you see Max Holloway active, actively initiate grappling exchanges? Like that. That, that- now, he
0: he tried to against Yair when he tried to score some takedowns in there. But other yeah, than
1: that, yeah, against year. But when when did he do that during his prime? After he already asserted himself on the feet. Never been a guy who's gone to grappling and and and, ex- and you know grappling exchanges and takedowns and tie-ups. He's pressured guys, asserted himself on the feet, and then he might work on the ground. He's never been that kind of fighter. Whether he had the skills or not, he's never been that kind of fighter. So the fact that he's resulting to something, some people could say, oh well. That's showing a new element of his game. I'd buy that. But my question is, if you would have shown that element three or four years ago, your trend would be closer to what it was three or four years ago. The reason you're making this adjustment is because you can no longer have that pace and that kind of physicality or a firefight against a certain caliber of opponent. Those those, days are no longer no longer there. He can say he's fighting smarter, but he's not a dumb guy. Why wasn't he fighting smarter three or four years ago?
0: That's my thing. Like, um,
1: oh. Takedowns would have helped him against Dustin Poirier, but he said to get in a firefight. He's a smart guy. If he's really been growing, why didn't he do it then?
0: Yeah, that's very true. Right? And it all kind of rolls back for me <clears throat> about how much damage is he going to be taking? Like That's my big concern. Like Is, is he going to be uh, taking more damage that's going to kind of escalate him and, and or Escalate him out of the cage. That's kind of my big concern. He's still relatively young. I think he's only like 31 or something like that. And I know not that long ago, we were all really concerned about his health when he was on ESPN, still kind of slurring his words and having troubles uh, communicating. So that's really my thought as I watch him head into this fight here. But at the same time, there isn't much else he could do right now. You can't have him continue beating up featherweight contenders because he's going to do that. If you look at the rest of that division outside of Brian Ortega, I mean, he's already beaten Brian Ortega. He might beat everyone else ranked in the top 15. And then you have to you can't really move him to 155 because you have to wonder if he can if he has the ability to still. When fights the way he does at one forty five I think he would be in a dangerous position fighting some of those bigger guys who would be able to really beat him up and kind of weather some of the storm that he throws. so I kind of feel like he he, he and the u f c with him are in a between a rock and a hard place when they had to book him into this fight
1: he's he's basically John Fitch himself or you could say Misha Tated himself, where you've lost to this guy this person in decisive fat mat fashion, I guess to be more like Misha Tate and then Misha Tate goes on this tremendous run, but it's like we've already seen you get stomped by Ronda twice. You'd have to do something incredible for us to give you a third fight. Luckily Holly Holm knocks her off. So then we should take his move right to the front because she's beat the hell out of everybody else. Max Holloway is gonna keep on knocking these guys off. And at some point he's it's it's gonna catch up to him, but he'll probably knock off another three, four, five challengers. And by the time he gets knocked off, you know, the division's the division's kind of in a tizzy because all the guys to get to get to it'll get to the point where for you to fight Volkanowski, you've got to beat Holloway. You can't beat Holloway. You're all the way to the back of the line. So eventually, even when he gets knocked off, the division's already lopsided and offset. Um, I, I like Max Holloway. He's a smart fighter. He's a technical fighter. He's got great heart. He takes on the t- toughest challenges. But the only thing I'm, when I comment on the fight with Volkanowski, is there's just a trend with him. He's never really adjusted mid fight. His adjustment has always been to walk through fire and ramp up his volume it's not like he hasn't been punished before by fighters. He's been punished by Jose Aldo. He was punished by Alex Volkanovski. Even when he fought Brian Ortega, yeah, he everybody likes the highlight of how Brian Ortega couldn't defend his shots and couldn't counter him. But they keep forgetting that Brian Ortega was hitting him with a lot of big shots. Frankie Yeager actually landed his fair share of shots against him. Anthony Pettis was landing a lot of shots against him. And the only thing that saved Max Holloway isn't that he's so defensively slick and sound, is that he could take that punishment long enough for his, for whatever technique he has to come break through. Because if you can't take punishment, you can't make an adjustment. Your technique, will, will fail you. If you can't take what I, if I can't take what you're dishing out, it takes time for technique to work. So if I can't take what you're dishing out, my technique will never have the chance to work because I'm not a dynamic striker. I'm not a dynamic finisher. Max Holloway isn't either. He's not a big puncher. He's not a dynamic athlete. It takes time and it takes rounds for him to really assert control and break guys down. So if he needs time but he can't catch like he used to and he can't ramble the volume like he used to and he's not good at making in-game, in-game, in-fight adjustments, then my question is how does he win this fight? I don't even know that Volkanovski is the best fighter or he's so dynamic or he's so great, but Volkanovski is – he used to be a a big heavyweight rugby player, so he's got physicality, he's got durability, and he's got enough of a skill set across the board where you just can't take advantage of him. He doesn't give you the same easy openings that Brian Ortega does, that Frankie Edgar does that Anthony Pettis does. And unlike Jose Aldo, he can fight at a pace. He can maintain a high pace, all fight long, and ramp it up, which is where Aldo falls off, because he can only fight at pace for like a round and a half. The obvious holes that Max Holloway takes a, takes advantage of do not exist in this guy. You're not just going to take him down. You're not just going to hold him down. You're not just going to ground and pound him. You're not just going to box him up. You're not going to overwhelm with volume. You're not just going to bully him. It's got to be a combination to each and every one of those things. And I don't know, like I said, that Max Holloway has the durability to ramp up the volume, and he's shown historically he has no idea how to make adjustments in fights. If he knew how to make adjustments in fights, he would have beat Volkanovski the the second time because he was up two rounds on him, but Volkanovski adjusted, and when he adjusted, Max Holloway had nothing else for him. He could not make any other adjustment to see if Volkanovski could catch up. He would have won one more round, fight's over. But he couldn't do it because at no point could he make an adjustment, and at no point could he bite down, walk through fire, and put something on Volkanovski to get him defensive or get him in bad positions. And he's going to need to do that to be able to win. So maybe he can pull it out for one night. Maybe, but that's a risky proposition. And and lastly, he's not a dynamic enough guy where he can just explode into a spot and get you in a finishing position or punish you with a big shot. That's not the guy he is. He's not Jose Aldo power-wise, explosiveness-wise. He's not Brian Ortega finishing-wise. So it's going to take him time and rounds. And the more time Volkanovsky has, the better he is going to be able to make the reads, make an adjustment, and then put the pressure on Max Holloway. And then it's going to come down to can Max Holloway for one or two rounds, bite down, and go all out like he used to. I don't think he can anymore. He hasn't and in there's years. there's
0: two points about this I want to kind of add before we move on to our next topic. The first one is it, what happens if Max Holloway wins? You know, are they backing themselves into almost having to do a fourth fight between these yes. two, if, especially if it's, if it's if it's in controversial fashion?
1: Even if he's a dominant win, they have to get a rematch. Max got two shots of Volkanovski. Volkanovski is going to have to at least get one. And then if Volkanovski beat, loses the next one and he wins two fights, he's right back in there with Max Holloway again. This is a very treacherous position for the UFC because, I mean, they like Max Holloway, so if he wins, it's a win-win for them. But the, the vision could be basically held up for at least another year. At least another year with this. This is, I mean, they're hoping – I'm. The UFC wins either way, but the people, other people in the division lower, they've got to hope that Volkanovski just wins it, because at this rate, there's going to be a rematch. Even if he goes out there and knocks him out with the first shot, there's going to have to be a rematch. If there's a rematch, that means nobody's getting a title fight for at least six months to a year, maybe even 18 months, depending.
0: And and you mentioned the rest of the rankings. That was my second question there, because if you look at the group, I mean, Brian Ortega, they've both beaten him. Yair Rodriguez, Holloway's beaten him. I've, I'm not sure if either one of them have beaten Chen, Chen Sun Jung, but he just lost to Yair. Then you have Calvin Cater, who Holloway just beat. You have... Uh, Jiga who's fighting Calvin Cater next weekend on the 15th, and he's someone who may be able to um, make a jump if he looks good and puts, puts together a strong win, and maybe he's next in line. If they could find some way, if, if Volkanovski picks up a win, they can kind of find a way to make that happen. But this division is getting really close to becoming really stagnant, looking at how this is really shaping up. I mean, you have Sudik Youssef fighting Alex Caceres in a few weeks, and that's really it. Dan Ige just lost. I don't think Bryce Mitchell was quite there yet. So this this division is really in need of someone to break through and break through rather quickly.
1: Well, it's it's been stagnant. That's why they're forced into this kind of rematch, because nobody else has, A, been able to beat Max Holloway or, B, made enough of a case to lead for all the Max Holloway to a title fight against Volkanovski, And for all of dominance, all he's done is beat Max Holloway twice and beat Brian Ortega, who was... Crushingly dominated in a one-sided fight, dominated by Max Holloway. So I mean, in 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 what the two years I know there's been the pandemic and everything, but in the two years he's been champion, he's really only fought two opponents. He's gonna have fought, he'll have defended the title twice. This will be the third time defended the title, but he's only fought two guys and, and three defenses. I mean, and if it wasn't such a high-level fight, people wouldn't be clamoring for it. So the people, the fan, hardcore fans will be satisfied. Casuals like Max Holloway, so they're satisfied. But as far as generating new interest and in, in growth and pushing forward the division, the people lower than them are so far behind them. Nobody thinks they're even worthy of a shot. And even if, if whoever wins this fight is going to be favored against the entire field at 45. So there's no real interesting fights outside of this rematch. They were, I think, they were hoping that someone would knock Holloway off or someone would knock Volkanovsky off so we could have a kind of a rebirth and inject the division with life but neither one of those things happened so now we're getting the third match and I know it's a good fight but when you start getting into threes and fours it starts to get a little ridiculous so the best case scenario for the UFC is Volkanovski win this and we're done with it because if it goes into a four fight oh lord it's it's just a bad look for the division it's just a bad look and they're they're already getting outpaced by 135 welterweight in the divisions they can't afford to take a step back as far as interesting matchups and interesting fights
0: I definitely agree with you on that there. Um but this is a this would be an interesting fight to see how it plays out. It'll be a good fight regardless. On March 5th. It will definitely be a good fight and it's a fight that a lot of people still want But not, see. but make sure
1: make sure everybody keeps a close eye. If Max Holloway, if his chin goes past that line, it's gonna get ugly and it's gonna get ugly fast. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, you can have a, you can have an incredible chin. You can have incredible recuperative abilities. At some point that runs out. And Max Holloway, much like Tony Ferguson, is a very skilled guy who who chooses to break his opponents. He meets his opponents head on to break their will, and then he uses a skill set on them. That has a price. That has an expiration date. And you saw how badly Tony, when Tony went past his, he went from an elite guy to a guy who can't even compete anymore. So when it happens to Max Holloway, if it happens in this fight, it is going to be ugly. And I
0: mean ugly. I definitely agree with you there. Um, So that's the really only big fight announcement we have to talk about today. I wanted to kind of look forward to the year of 2022. Uh, What are some of the things that you're looking forward to from combat sports this year? Um, Combat sports in general, mixed martial arts.
1: Both, both. We talked everything here. Uh, Well, for boxing, I'm a. I'm I'm looking forward to the Ugas, Errol Spence fight. I know it's not the Crawford fight. Everybody wants to see Crawford versus Spence. I get that. But the fact of the matter is it it is a title unification fight. So whoever wins this will be what? uh, I think he'll be be the unified champion if if I'm correct on this. So in that regard, it's a very important fight. And people are crapping on a fight that under normal circumstances, everybody would be a big fan of because it's a unification fight. It's champions fighting champions. And just in this case... Ugas is not considered as good as Terence Crawford, so people are basically shitting on the fight. But um, it's a tough, it's an interesting matchup because once again, Spence is coming off an injury. He had a retina injury. We don't know what state his eye is in. We don't know if he can really take punishment. We don't know if it really affects his performance. So that's one. And two, for the first time in a long time, most of the guys he's faced have been guys who, even if they could box a little bit, were kind of straight ahead or were available for him. Danny Garcia isn't defensively slick. He's a low volume counter puncher who sits on his counters and, and tries to get guys out of there with big counter shots. He doesn't throw volume, he's not hard to hit. Um, Sean Porter is awkward, he's got some education, but a lot of his is physicality, volume, and his durability. Even against Kelbrook Kel Brookwood at the time was a long athletic boxer puncher. Against Ugas, he's facing a guy who is athletic, who's awkward, but who's also a very good boxer and a very good defensive fighter. He's kind of got an awkward slickness to himself And we've never really seen Errol Spence in a fight where a guy could match him as far as his boxing skills and seeing him face the guy who was not going to make himself available for counters or leads. So it'll be interesting to see how Errol Spence Spence fights when he doesn't have a clear technical advantage as far as boxing. He'll still have his physicality. He'll still have his volume. But given that he did have a serious eye injury, we have no idea what's going to happen once he gets hit in the eye or if he gets hit a couple times in that eye. But even without that, it's an interesting matchup of Braun. Versus skill, and it'll be the first time I think he's facing a guy who's comparable to him athletically as well. So I'm very interested to see how he faces a combination of a guy who can box, a guy who's defensively responsible, and a guy who's got enough athleticism that he can't naturally just outpace him or just bat- have his way with him physically. So that that's going to be a very good fight. That's going to get dumped on because it's not Spence Crawford, but it's a very good fight and it's a very good challenge for Spence coming off of a severe injury. He could have taken a tune-up. He's taking on another champion who just got done beating Manny Pacquiao and who many people thought beat Sean Porter a couple years ago.
0: What do you think will be the biggest boxing fight that we'll have this year?
1: Uh, Biggest one? Um, um, Well, as far as skills and ability, I think they're trying to do Amanda, Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor fight, and it's women's boxing. And I know that's not as big in America, but it, across the world that's a very big fight. And it's essentially two of the best, two of the finest technicians in boxing. If that fight actually ends up happening, it'll be a blockbuster event internationally. And it might be the most evenly matched fight as far as people's res people with accomplishments, resumes as professionals, amateurs, and people who have pretty much top tier skill sets as far as as far as amateur boxing and professional boxing. It might be the best skill, resume, and accomplishment um, fight in boxing, might it might be the best one in the la- next five to seven years. It's very few times when you have people with those type of resumes stepping in to fight each other when they're in or around their prime. It, I mean, it for the women's side, it'd be something close to um, Floyd versus um, Manny. Let's say it about two years too late if it happened two or three years before that, that'd be it. My in my estimation, as far as moving boxing, that would be the um, the closest the, the closest approximation to it. I don't know if it ha- ends up happening, but if it did happen, as far as quality boxing, quality skill, exciting fights, accomplishment, and resume and experience, that might be one of the best fights of the past five to seven years in boxing.
0: Katie Taylor is undefeated, right? Uh, yes. Okay, okay. So um I, I've been reading a lot about that potential fight. I don't know too much about Katie Taylor to be honest, but I've heard her name a couple of times. She's a gold medalist too, right? She won in London, I think.
1: Yeah, she's I mean, she is, she's really I mean, and women the problem with women's boxing is the same problem. MMA heavyweight and light heavyweight. At the top, it's very top heavy. Once you get to three, three to five, the, the talent level kind of drops off. So the girls at the top are just light years better than everybody else. Amanda Serrano is light years better than everybody else. Katie Taylor, for the most part, is light years better than most everybody else. So you're kind of forced to kind of fight a high-level person. And once you get past that person, everything else, it can be tough stylistically or strategically, but actual as far as skill, accomplishment, and physical talent, the matches aren't nearly as deep and as awkward as they are in the men's divisions, which has from one to 20, Who could beat a guy from one to 20 at any given night. That's the difference. The depth of talent in the women's division is not as deep as the men's, which makes it easier to dominate. But when you are fighting the best, it makes it harder to win because there's really only two or three people on par with you. When those people are on par with you, they are legitimately on par with you. Not on par, they're a champion, you're a champion. I mean, they are legitimately legitimately close to your equal in almost every possible category as far as skills, experience, uh, ability to make adjustments, and IQ. But the rest of them are so far behind that you see a, you see a bunch of ultimately one-sided fights. But Kaylee Taylor, Kay, Katie Taylor is, is an elite fighter, as is Amanda Serrano. I know people think of her as Jake Little Project, but she is literally one of the best top 10 boxers. In, I mean, as far as her skill and what she's done in, in her area of boxing, she's probably a top 10 boxer. You put everything equal, a top 10 boxer, be a man or woman in the world for at least the past 10 years. She's she's
0: that so, good. about. Her. You mentioned the man. I want to bring up one other point about her before we also before, uh, before I gave you some of my thoughts on what I'm looking forward to this year. I, I know you saw her kind of piggybacking off of um, Jake Paul's message about going into the UFC and fighting Valentina Shevchenko on the same card. I don't want to talk about her fighting Valentina. I think she I mean, she would obviously get smoked in that contest there.
1: But Nowhere's where's Priscilla Cachuera. Nowhere's to Priscilla Cachuera.
0: So that's what I was going to ask. Where where do you see her ceiling from an MMA standpoint? I think she's 1-1-1 one, one one in um, MMA, maybe 1-1 one one or 1-0-1. One on one. Like, I remember she had to draw. I know she's 1-1 one, one as well. Where, where is her ceiling? And do you think she's really dedicating as much time to that space as she does with boxing? I don't know. I mean, to be
1: fair, it's kind of like the Carissa Shields thing they are so far ahead of most people in their division that you could probably get away with training both of them. The problem is for you to compete at the elite level of MMA, it's like this competing at the elite level of, of boxing. You have to have a certain kind of, you have to have a certain talent and you also have a certain level of commitment. On the men's side, you look at Clay Collard, he competed in MMA, he was all right. He competed in boxing, he had a couple of upsets, but as he got further along in boxing, he he, he started hitting his head, which also, coincides with the fact that a couple months ago he had an MMA fight for PFL, had a couple of them. So you have to imagine that affected his training and limited him to a degree. She's still a world-class athlete. She's a little bit older. So I, I don't think she's physically near her prime anymore. So I don't know that she could pick up all the nuances and intricacies because it's a lot to take on. But as I said, in women's mixed martial arts, the depth of talent, same thing in women's boxing, isn't as deep as the men's. I, I, that may sound sexist, but it's just a fact. It's just a fact. It, in certain divisions, you can get by with skill sets that you, in a men's division, you would never, in bantamweight women's division, some of the girls who are ranked could never get by with that skill set in men's bantamweight. It just wouldn't happen. I'm sorry. It's just a fact. So there's people she could beat. She would just have to dedicate her time to it. She's already world class in striking. And I know it's just boxing, but the fact of the matter, that entails footwork hand speed power a certain defensive certain defensive acumen that would they would translate over to mixed martial arts so she could be effective there's enough girls you could you could, you could get her on a five fight win streak easily on regional mma i mean we could get Hannah Cyphers like 8 and 0 or 7 and 0 you tell me we can't get amanda serrano to 8 and 0 or 7 and 0 we can't get her to 10 and 0 i would think if she really committed to herself there's people in the ufc she could be right now i mean not right now it's hard to take her like a year or two to really really train but given the gap they have as far as that skill set and and how many of the women, the female fighters, are not top-end athletes, there's people with the UFC she could beat if she really just keyed in on it for about another year or two. There just are. She's a better athlete. She's more experienced. And she actually has some knowledge and training, extensive training, in grappling and MMA. It just would take her time to put everything together. But it's not as far a bridge for her to reach as it would be for Clarissa Shields or male MMA fighters who haven't who haven't immersed themselves to a certain degree in it. But she would just take time, but she could still do it. I mean, they, the gap in women's MMA isn't as bad as the gap in women's boxing, but it's still a gap. And she's still a world-class athlete. And she's still a world-class fighter. You could put wins together for her if you matched her correctly. And if matched correctly for a year or two, she could go with the UFC and she could put wins together.
0: Yeah, I think, that that's, I think that that's what I'm really interested in. Where's her ceiling in um, both spaces? And I'm, I'm going to throw it back to you in a second, but what I'm looking forward to the most in combat sports, specifically in mixed martial arts this year, um, directly within the UFC, is I'm interested in how fighters find the space to push back more when it comes to fighter pay. We see what's going down with um, Francis Ngannou right now. He is scheduled to fight Cyril Ghan on the 21st, 22nd of this month, or whatever that uh, is for the UFC heavyweight title. And he has one fight left on his contract. If he loses the uh, the title, I think this is his last fight. If he wins, they push him into that um, mm-hmm. mand- mandatory kind of continue fighting as long as you're a champion but i'm interested in seeing if this becomes a year where we see more fighters willing to push back against that and what does that really look like
1: i, I don't think you. will i i don't think he will the only person i've known who actually talked talk and walked the walk I, I don't know her was leslie smith leslie smith drew a line in the sand they balked at the line she got the hell out plain and simple the fact of the matter is it's like in a relationship the person who has the power is the person who is willing to walk away. The UFC is willing to walk away from every single one of these cats because they'll just bring in someone else, stamp UFC behind their name, and instantly people will think that they're better than they are or they're elite because all you have to do is have UFC. The best fighters fight in the UFC. That's not true. There's some better fighters in Bellator. There's some better fighters in PFL. There's some better fighters in Risen. Not all the best fighters fight in the UFC. That is an actual fact but everybody's so acclimated to the UFC, the three letters, UFC, that people don't even, they they, they, they put it in a separate category from MMA. If you like MMA, I like UFC. Well, that's not the same thing. Liking MMA and liking the UFC is not the same thing at all. It's completely different. And the worst thing about it is the fighters always undercut themselves. And anybody who sticks up for them, they undercut them. I know you saw Jake Paul on the internet, his little threat against Dana, what he would agree to do. Instead of championing him, all the MMA fighters, you got Jorge Masvidal saying $5 million is an underpayment. I don't know what world he's living in. $5 million is not an underpayment. If it was, it's just not. First of all, they're making fun of his sales. Well, he only, 60, he only sold 65,000 pay-per-views. Let's have Jorge Masvidal without the UFC behind him, see how many pay-per-views he sells for a fight with any top guy. It's not cracking 100,000. Part of his selling aspect is him fighting in the UFC. Most of the guys in the UFC are in the top 10 couldn't sell 50,000 pay-per-views on their own. They couldn't sell 25,000 pay-per-views on their own. They'll be like, well, I sold this out. You didn't sell out anything else. You were either fighting Conor McGregor, you were either fighting Ronda Rousey, or you're riding the UFC's coattails. None of y'all can sell out anything on your own. Otherwise, the UFC will pay you more money. All the people who can sell on their own get paid very well by the UFC. Conor McGregor got paid because he can sell on his own. Ronda Rousey got paid because he can sell on his own. The, The rest of them, they're not getting paid because they can't sell on their own and the UFC ain't paying them a dime more, th- more than, they're, than they're, they're contractually signed to get. That's how that works. But instead of rallying around somebody who's bringing attention to your paydays, they try to undercut Jake Paul, well, he's not authentic, he doesn't really care about us. Who cares, there's a problem you need solved and he's trying to bring attention to it. So instead of questioning his boxing acumen or his willingness to step into the cage or some nonsense, why don't you actually attack the issue, which is the pay? But nobody wants to do that because they don't want to get on Dana's bad side. So once again, as we've always said, they're going to lose three or four, get kicked out of the UFC, and they're going to cry, but I couldn't pay my bills. My wife was working three jobs. My kid needed this, and I couldn't get it for him. That's funny, because for the four years you were on win streaks, we didn't hear nothing from you. Now that you're on a losing streak and they cut you, now you want to tell us about how unfair it was. Ask Junior DeSantos, he was complaining about pay after the fact. Tim Sylvia keeps on complaining about pay after the fact. Um, I I don't know who else. Countless guys complain after the fact, but they don't complain when they're on top. And that's why when everybody's listening, they only complain after the fact. And after the fact, we don't care about you. Nobody cares. So it's like, I would like to think they're going to turn a corner, but none of them are willing to walk away from this. None of them are willing to walk away from this. And the worst part about this is, you know how MMA guys, if you watch enough uh, MMA interviews or countdowns, you'll hear every single one of them. And these are considered the alphas, right? The baddest, toughest guys in the world, right? Unstoppable. Nothing scares them. What what did 90% of them say? I couldn't imagine working a nine-to-five job. I'd rather do this. So a nine-to-five job is too difficult for you. But if you were doing something, if you had a job and it didn't pay you health insurance, it couldn't pay for you to get to work, it couldn't pay for maintenance on your car, and it couldn't pay you to take care of your family, what would your family tell you? I don't care if you love it. You need to go find another job to take care of yourself. MMA fighters are telling us this job does not pay the bills. because when they say you're taking food off my – I do this – put food on the table for my family – That's not true because there's managers at McDonald's who make more money at the end of the year than MMA fighters, a bunch of MMA fighters. Hell, there's people who are cashiers at McDonald's who make more than MMA fighters at the end of the year. So it's not putting food on your table. They have a dream of being the best. They have the dream of fighting the UFC. And even though that dream isn't financially soluble, they're going to keep on chasing it. When for the rest of us who live in reality, we'd have to give up our dream and take care of our families or take care of ourselves. And i'm not saying it's not honorable i'm not saying it's not admirable but at a certain point you have to understand what it is you want to follow your dream that's fine your dream comes at this cost. do don't complain to me about it because you don't have to fight you don't have to fight that's a choice you are choosing to do this because you don't want to get a nine to five because you're a warrior because you have to have the taste of blood in your mouth yeah that's all well and good it's not true you're doing this because you want to you don't have to You can literally get a job in multiple other places, make a good enough living, make more money than you're making now. You're choosing to do this. And you want me, they want me, and they want you, and they want fans to do the heavy lifting and and speak out on their behalf. But none of them are speaking out on their own behalf because they're afraid of getting slapped down by Dana or the Fertitas or whoever owns it now. I, I think I think I don't I don't think there's gonna be a turn because none of these guys back each other up, none of these guys support each other. Every time someone gets sick, She's a coward. She's faking. She just wants more money. Every time somebody asks for more money, what do other fighters say? You're ducking. You, you undercut your, your own people in your own spot every single day, and then you have the nerve to complain about fans and media who aren't who are fighting, fighting your battle for you. Fight it for yourself. Stop asking me to do it. Stop asking Raphael to do it. Stop asking fans to do it. Fight your own battle. If you want better pay, go out there and fight it, and you might have to be willing to walk away from your career and sacrifice so somebody 10 years down the line can benefit. But if you're not willing to walk away don't complain about me not caring about you when you start losing and getting knocked out that's your choice you know the realities of of combat sports and you're choosing to invest in them anyways i can't pay you the fans can't pay you the media can't pay you the only one who can pay you is your boss so either you figure out a way to get in his good side or you walk away and build your own thing and get a career for your own self but you can't complain after the fact you can't get all the benefits and look down on everybody because you're a warrior nobody can live in your world because you're an alpha and then turn around to tell me who by your standards isn't brave enough or tough enough to do this sport i got to fight your battle for you that's, that's not how that works dude. some of us just have to give up our dreams because it doesn't pay the bills and it doesn't take care of things just because you're a fighter you are not exempt from that and i like fighters and i know fighters and i support them but we got to be honest with it if it's not paying the bills and you got kids you got family you got responsibilities don't blame Dana. Go get a real job and pay your bills. I'm sorry, it sucks that you have to give up your dream, but a lot of people do. A
0: lot of people do. You're not any better than any of them. The part that I'm interested in, I'm wondering if I'm wondering if more people start to stand up. Like that's the really only piece that I'm I'm asking about because I, I think that there's there's you know there's frequent rumblings and 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 you hear people talking about it, but it doesn't necessarily see, seem seem there'll ever be enough kind of people speaking about it. So that's the first thing I'm interested in seeing. Well, it never happens
1: because those guys get paid. Remember when Jose Aldo was talking a lot?
0: Yeah. A new contract. I mean, Donald Cerrone was talking a lot. TJ Dillashaw.
1: Dillashaw,
0: um, So many guys. TJ Dillashaw, Donald Cerrone. um, Then they sign a new
1: contract and what happens?
0: What happens when they 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 sign a new
1: contract? They all shut up. That's that's ultimately it. The NBA, NFL, they might hate other players. I hate that guy. But they still... They understand the prices gets paid to get to that level. They still want that guy to get paid. They might hate him. They might want to dominate him and embarrass him, but they still want him to get paid. And the fighters do not care about the other guys. They don't care about Conor McGregor. Conor doesn't care about them. If he did, he could stand up. GSP could stand up, but nobody stands up. Once they get paid, they fall in line. And when they're not getting paid, they don't say nothing because they hope to get paid. Then when they find out they're not, then it's like, well, I didn't have health insurance. I've got this damage.
0: So what's the next item you're um thinking about, uh Swan? We're gonna do two each. So what's the next one that you're looking forward to for 2022? Um let me think.
1: That is really tough. Um man, what am I thinking? I think as far I think maybe I'm really interested to see how this this Nganu. And Gagne fight goes just because of, as we talked about, fighter pay issues, because if, cause if um, Francis and Ngannou wins and he maintains a title, yeah he has got to stay with the UFC. But now you have an active champion who seems to be speaking out. And if he continues to speak out, that'd be very interesting because it's clear the UFC are tired of him. and They're trying to leverage Gagne into a position where they can move forward with him. So it'd be interesting to see how they scramble to adjust to that um but also it's it's a very interesting matchup in the heavyweight division because the heavyweight division very rarely has matchups where we can't predict where it's going to happen because the fights are fairly one or two one-dimensional so it's interesting to see two dangerous heavyweights in each other who people really have a reason to believe could beat one another whether it's just based off power and the chance of Nganu or far superior skill and craft and the chance of cyril gagne so for for once again and we usually get a matchup like this, what, every two or three years in heavyweight, maybe four or five years, we have an interesting, intriguing, highly marketable heavyweight match, which isn't very common in, in mixed martial arts.
0: Who do you think is going to win that heavyweight fight? We're going to talk about it as it gets closer, but just first thoughts. who do you think is going to win?
1: I like to say Cyril, but he hasn't faced any any adversity, dude. I, I just I have a hard time dealing – picking guys who haven't faced any adversity. Because I, I don't know what happens if you twist your ankle, you break your toe, the guy clips you with a shot you're not ready for. At least I know Ganu for all the things about him. He might be limited. He might be a front runner to a degree. But at least I know when it gets rough, he will still fight. He won't quit, even if you're dragging him and beating the hell out of him for five rounds. I have no idea what Cyril Ngannou does once a fight gets tough. No idea. Because he hasn't had, faced one ounce of... Um, resistance in the UFC he's had it his way completely I don't know what happens if somebody starts touching him to the body or someone clips him with a short left hook or a big right hand or kicks him in the leg and his leg goes numb and it, or he twists his ankle or his knee I don't know who he'll fight through I would assume he would but I've, I've got no proof that says that he'll fight through any adversity at all so I have to initially lean on the person who's had to get through a dirt adversity who's had to make adjustments who's had to claw his way back up Cyril's had it all his way and I I, I just can't back up a guy who's had it his way completely I just can't do it.
0: Understood, there, sir. Understood. So my second thing that I'm looking forward to this year is I want to see what happens with the women's divisions in the UFC. Um, It's funny there. I was listening to I think it was today or maybe what's today? Tuesday or or Monday? Listening to the Luke Thomas uh, show on Mortal Combat with him and Brian Campbell and they brought up an interesting stat that there's only been one event that has been headlined by a women's fight each year since i think 2018 which surprised me but didn't surprise me at the same time so i'm wondering if we see a situation this year where there's maybe two events that are headlined by women Or if they continue to kind of stay in a relegated position that they're in, um, because UFC will almost try to bookend any type of men's title fight into a card rather than put the women in the main event picture, which is what we've seen pretty consistently over time. So I'm wondering if that's something that we see maybe begin to slightly shift. There hasn't really been any push for it to shift, but if that's something that gets highlighted and we see maybe Valentina headline two shows, Amanda Nunez versus... um, Kayla Harrison maybe headlining a show or something along those lines. I uh,
1: I mean it could happen. I I don't think the UFC is nearly as sexist as everybody tends to make it out to be. It's like um they have good fighters. Um once again the divisions aren't very deep and once again for the most fight I mean let let's look at Juliana Pena versus Nunes. Nobody considered that to be a fight because of how Juliana's performed against ultimately inferior opposition previously to fighting Amanda Nunes. People ignored completely ignored flaws. Holes, limitations, because Pena lost to this girl and this girl who's not half as good as Nunes. They completely, they completely ignore the matchup because most women's fights don't get, get don't get combed, combed through, combed through the way that most men's fights. When you see men's fight, you see a million different breakdowns over by every website over the same freaking fights, whether it's the top of the car or it's the bottom. How often do you really see in depth? Insightful, strategical, technical, conceptual, historical breakdowns of women fights and mixed martial arts. I don't, I know I used to do them a lot and I do them on the show and I write articles about them. I don't know a lot of guys who really spend a lot of time on them. They give little passing breakdowns, little passing assessments when they're breaking them down over shows. They don't really dig into them and they don't generate enough interest. The matchups often are not interesting enough. And the only reason that we'll know that Pena and Nunez. We'll get another headlining spot. Because if Nunes beat Pena, I don't know that she'd get another headlining spot. But since Pena beat her, this is the rematch to the biggest upset of all time. So of course that's gonna get moved forward to a headlining position. Most of the fights are fights that are easily predicted or they're fights that people, the fighters do not have a big enough fan base that would demand enough of uh, attention be be drawn to them. So that's why I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't, I don't think it's a matter of sexism. I think it just comes down to capitalism. Most of these girls in and of themselves have not shown an ability to draw. And like most fighters, they only want to fight. They don't want to talk. They don't want to do interviews. They don't want to appear on every single podcast and every single show. They just want to do their job and have that be enough. And that's never been enough. The only person, Nunes is getting the rub because she's gotten to fight every big name in women's mixed martial arts, and she's beaten them for the most part. That's the only reason she got her position. Ronda Rousey got hers because Ronda Rousey had proven in and of herself, outside the UFC, she could draw she could become a crossover star she could get lots of attention nobody else in the ufc so far has shown they demand that sort of attention even the best fighters don't have those those rockets fan bases and even though even the fighters who are popular really aren't that popular in comparison to some of their male counterparts if they were you see a lot more women skipping the line getting title shots they don't deserve or being put in eliminators they don't deserve but because it doesn't make sense financially that's why it's not happening, and I haven't seen anybody who's come in the UFC recently with a big enough fan base. I've seen girls with skills, but I haven't seen anybody with a big enough fan base that, that tells me that that's going to change anytime in the near future. In fact, if Amanda Serrano came in and fought Valentina Shevchenko, that could headline a UFC card. That would be a big event, but it wouldn't be in, an event involving one of the fighters on their roster. Nobody generates that kind of interest.
0: Sir, I'm going to have to agree with you once again. Um, we are running a short, short show today because there isn't really much to talk about. Um, we have—I saw somebody say that this is the off-season of combat sports. So, Shawn, how, how did you spend your off-season of combat sports? We haven't had any fights over the last what two, three weeks now. We won't have one until next weekend. So, what do you? So, how are you spending your time? Um, on my time,
1: I had well. One thing I do, I train and get the basketball, so I spent more time doing that. I spent a lot of time doing that. And outside of the family stuff, the main thing I did on my time is I, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I just started dropping tips for fighters, the stuff that they don't know, fighters who don't know common things about fighting. It's 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 ridiculous. They say I'm not a fighter, so you don't know, but there's basic things that you don't know, that people who actively fight don't know. So I just drop hints and give lists of things that fighters should work on so they can progress better or things they should look forward in their coaches or the training camp so they can make pro- so they can progress in their careers instead of plateauing and being the same fighter four years from now that they were when they first got into the ufc bellator or whatever else that's what i do because i deal with a lot of do a lot of fighters and i deal with a lot of athletes either in basketball or even combat sports
0: that's my downtime that's your downtime. See, my down, my downtime has been a whole bunch of traveling. I was in Mexico for New Year's, which was pretty awesome. I almost got stuck there, but thankfully I did not have got back in time. Um, Had the private so, jet come through? I'll uh, say it again. Had the private jet come through. Man, look, it almost got to that point because um the the rebooking that the American tried to put me through um Monday Monday Sunday night into Monday morning was not going to be fun, but I got right back. I got back right before the snowstorm hit up here, so I I made it home safely. But I'm just trying to enjoy my downtime, man, just because after next week, it picks right back up. We have two UFC cars back-to-back. I think we have one that first weekend of February, so, you know, we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to have a lot of work to do this year, but MMA Ratings, the podcast, will be here all year to stick with giving you the show that we've been giving you for the last 225 episode. So again, as always, um, thank you. You said you had something to add, didn't you? Go ahead. Yes. Two things. One,
1: MMA fighters who complain about boxers not coming over to mixed martial arts, you have to understand, y'all complain about the money in mixed martial arts. So how are you going to convince a boxer to come over? I know the logic MMA fighters say is, if we're in the UFC, Dana White will pay big money for that boxer to come over. But once again, whether it's in boxing or it's in mixed martial arts, the money is def- is focused purely on the boxer. If Kamar Usman and Canelo fought in the cage, Usman could probably make five, six, seven, ten million dollars. But that money would all be predicated on Canelo coming over. It's not based on anything Usman's done, because as big in a star as Usman is in the MMA world, he's not really a big crossover star like Canelo is. So, if Canelo, why would Canelo make that risk of going to mixed martial arts? Sure, he could make tons of money, but he could still make 25, 30 million and just box you. So I understand what MMA fighters are saying. I'm upset, it's not fair, they don't have the courage. I actually think that boxers have more respect for mixed martial arts than mixed martial arts have for boxing. I've been in gyms, I've been around fighters. Every single fighter thinks they're nice with their hands. Every single fighter thinks they can box. They, they actually downplay what a skill boxing is well all you have to do is defend with your hands yet every time you'll go in against a world-class guy y'all can't seem to do it, it it's just they, the disrespect for boxing and i understand it's not the favorite sport i understand there's politics but the art of boxing is a very serious art and no other art that's part of mixed martial arts gets dissed as much as boxing people don't go challenging roger, roger gracie for grappling people don't just go against the best tie fighter in the world and say let me go fight that guy why because they respect those arts and because those arts aren't going to get them paid the way it would to have you fight the name guy in boxing. So I get tired of that argument that they're afraid of us. They're not afraid. It just doesn't make any sense. If I'm making $25 million to do my specialty, why am I going to go over $25 million to do something I have no sort, no concept of and no real skill or experience in? What sense does that make, especially when I'm the money? Floyd Mayweather was the money, not Conor. Canelo's the money, not Kamara Uzman. And I just wish MMA fighters would just be more respectful of boxers. Because I don't hear boxers bashing MMA fighters. I hear MMA fighters bashing boxers all the time. Boxers say, I could not survive in a cage. But every MMA fighter says, I could go a couple rounds with Delahoy. I could go a couple rounds with Floyd. And they get respected for basically being outclassed and beat up by world-class boxers. If you're a boxer you come to MMA, you don't get any respect for getting choked out. You get laughed at. You get laughed at, and your earning potential is hurt from that point on. Conor's earning potential wasn't hurt by fighting Floyd. It went up. It went up. Tyrone Woodley had the biggest paydays of his life, boxing, not a mixed martial arts. His value went up. That's why that happens. And secondly, this is more of a functional thing for fighters. Y'all need to start having, I don't care what level you are, but especially if you're not a top level fighter, you need to start having your coach or some coach pay attention exclusively to when you are sparring. I know y'all are at these big camps and you 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 want to aspire to get to a certain level, but the problem is a lot of fighters are not, They're making repeated errors in their sparring that aren't being caught. And those errors are costing them wins and costing them damage that is unnecessary for them to be absorbing because someone is not carefully going through their sparring footage, breaking things down and pointing things out. And they think because they're with a big camp and -and so-and-so's in their corner, that doesn't do you any good unless that person is specifically paid for and focused on what you were doing exclusively. And they are really invested in you. And a lot of big camps. Those guys are split between you and bigger fighters. When they have a bigger fighter, you get put to the back. You get put in the rear seat. And when you're you're trying to come up as a fighter, you can't afford tremendous mistakes or missteps. You have to be on it 100%. So I'm going to say a lot of MMA fighters need to invest in themselves because if you want to get better, every other sport understands this. Boxers understand this. Basketball players, soccer players, baseball players, football players, they all have individual coaches. They all have people who break them down outside of their team And they focus on their skill building, and they focus on how to make adjustments and how to pick up the flaws in their game. More MMA fighters need to make that investment in themselves, and you'll see a tremendous growth as far as the technical growth, the conceptual understanding, and the strategic game plans people have. Because too often guys come in making this mistake in the year 2014 when they got in the UFC, and five years later, 2019, they're still the same fighter. How is that happening if you are paying a coach to help you get better and you were getting to spar with the best fighters in the world? How are you the same fighter making the same mistakes? You didn't jab your way in and out when you first got into the UFC. And five years later, you still don't jab your way in and jab your way out, except now you're a step slower and you're getting knocked out left and right. The time to work on your skills and to invest in film work and invest in outside coaching is not once you lost your fastball or once your chin is gone. Too fucking late then. The time for you to invest in yourself is early so you can extend your career and extend your prime and extend your time if you get to be a world-class fighter you can extend it instead of being world class for two years and then falling off the face of the earth two years later because you don't have any skills to back up that athleticism that's just a tip i have for most MMA fighters and there's lots of guys on twitter there's Conor rebush there's me there's a lot of people you can go to but if you don't want to make the investment then you're basically saying, I'm okay being at the level I'm at, and I I don't want to be world class. And if I am world class, I don't plan on having a long stay there. The best fighters, the best athletes, the best ball players all do the work with their team, and they do a bunch of work on their own. If you're not doing both things, you're not as serious as you think you are. You don't want to be as great as you think you want to be great, and you will not be on the top for as long as you think you will be. These are just facts. You either do the work and make the investment, or you just... Have your moment and then fall off a cliff like the other 87% of fighters who go to the UFC Bellator or who go on little win streaks and then you never hear from them again. It's your choice, but you all really need to start investing in yourselves because it's – I watch a fight. I can watch sparring sessions and figure out things right away. I watch fights and people are like, how did you know that was going to happen? Because I I pay attention to habits. And you have the same habits you had six years ago, except now you're a worse athlete and
0: you can't take a punch. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, off my soapbox. Sir, you are always welcome to get on your soapbox here. But as I was saying, we should have a good year put in front of us. This, this is a 2020. This is a new year here, and we are always going to be doing the work. So please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to our content wherever you may see it. Um, you can always catch us at and .com. Check us out at Net on Instagram and Twitter. I'm R Garcia underscore sports and. Uh, Schwan hughes is Black Jordan Green. Otherwise known as Hoodie Schwan. There's hoodie mellow for basketball, hoodie hughes for ML. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna make the association. I'm not even gonna touch that. I'll touch that one next week. But we'll be back next week. So as always, thank you everyone for taking the time to check us out. Everyone have a great day. Stay safe out there in these streets and um wear your mask and Black Lives Matter. Have a good night, everybody.
1: Take it easy, guys.